our reading this morning is John 12, verses 37 to 50. Belief and unbelief among the Jews. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe, because, as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, so they can neither see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. Then Jesus cried out, Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life, so whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Amen. When I was thinking about New Year, I typed New Year into my little um, search box and my computer, and oh, it came up with a whole load of things that I have used at New Year over um, the years. And this thing came up, and I thought, what on earth is that? And when I read it, I thought, ah, that actually is quite useful for Sunday. So, here we go. It's an article that was written in the Times newspaper by a man called Matt Bird. And it was uh, on Saturday the 30th of December 2017. He says, if I'm honest with myself, this time last year I had the same hopes and the year before and the year before that. The new year is always full of resolutions to shed a few pounds, sort out that relationship or change that work situation. The problem is the needle never really seems to move and I'm always left with a niggling sense of failure, which leads me to question whether I should even bother trying again. As we enter 2018 with specific hopes for the year ahead, there's a hesitation for us all because we've been here before. After a few days or weeks, we revert to the old patterns and behaviors. And so instead of beginning afresh, we plow on with life as usual. The self-help movement often claims that if we discipline ourselves in a new habit for 21 days, we will be changed. Others will tell you that that's a misunderstanding of the original research, and it actually takes 66 days to make a permanent change. Either way, it's not easy. 
So how do we go about creating lasting change in our lives? Lasting change starts in our inner world of attitudes, beliefs, and values, rather than an outer world of habits, discipline, and behavior. The law of correspondence explains that our outer world reflects our inner world. So if we want to see lasting change, we should work inside out. God specializes in lasting change. The Apostle Paul explained to the church in the city of Corinth, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. So if we follow Jesus, he will change our life inside out. Recently, I visited a social business at Vineyard Compassion in Coleraine, Northern Ireland, and I met a man who was working there on day release from prison. He shared his life story with me. In places, it was completely devastating and would have crushed even the strongest of us. But a smile began to spread across his face as he told me how he began to follow Jesus and the way his life had changed. In nearly every family, neighborhood, and workplace, there are people who have a story about how Jesus has changed their life inside out. Pew Research says that in 2010, 2.2 billion people worldwide, or around 31% of the world's population, followed Jesus. While following Christ doesn't make people perfect, it does make them a better version of themselves. Something I know from personal experience. When I first met someone who talked about following Jesus, I found it strange and uncomfortable. And yet, I was interested and intrigued. Still unsure of what would happen, I began reading about Jesus in the Bible, hanging out with other Jesus people. And one day I simply said, Jesus, I want to follow you. There was nothing particularly wrong with my life, but I severely lacked self-confidence. And so when I discovered that Jesus not only loved me, but also liked me, the world was transformed inside out. Whether we're a person who seems to have everything together on the surface or someone for whom life has many more obvious glitches, Jesus offers us lasting change from the inside out. The opportunity God gives for a new beginning is not limited to us as individuals either. In the New Testament, there are accounts of whole families whose lives were transformed when they decided to follow Jesus. Jonah tells the story about how a whole city respected God and was changed. God's words, I will forgive their sin and will heal their land from 2 Chronicles 7.14, cries out from the book of Chronicles, calling on us to humble ourselves and to pray to God. It's tempting to blame politicians for the state of families, our cities, and our nation. But it's important to recognize that the most effective change will not come from external sources. Legislation is important, but it's not the best mechanism for change. Transformation happens when the hearts and minds of men, women, and children are renewed from the inside out. So as we begin the year... Let's not just reflect on the changes that we would like in our own life. Let's consider the changes we would like to see in the lives of our family, our city, and our nation. 
whatever our hopes or resolutions for 2018, the best chance we have of achieving them is when we make changes from the inside out. I think that applies to 2023 in exactly the same way. I think it's also amazing that you get that kind of article in the Times newspaper. Those of you who are here regularly will know that we are working through John's gospel. And in uh, the story where we're up to, Jesus has just entered Jerusalem, and this is going to be the last week of his earthly life. I don't know if you've ever been in the position of spending a long time preparing something or looking forward to something and having a big reveal, and nobody really reacts. I remember as a child, living and visiting my relatives in Ayrshire, you know, it's a different world. They would tell me about going to the spit of the Gornock. What language are they even talking? The spit of the Gornock. Where the river Garnock comes from the ground. Where it starts is what they meant. So, it was a big long walk to the spit of the Gornock. And off we went. And I was so excited. So excited to see this amazing thing. And we trudged on for what seemed like mile after mile after mile. And when we got there, it was like, is that it? You have walked me all this way for that. It's like a, it it was like a, a, a bit of bog that was about four feet by four feet. Really? Yeah, that's it. Imagine if God had had an audience when he created everything. The earth and the sea separate. Oh, there's trees and flowers and plants of every conceivable color. Fish, birds, animals of every size and shape. And the last, human beings appear, male and female, to reflect God's image in the world. And God looks at it and says, wow, that is so good. And the folk looking on went, nah, it's all right. That's what was happening in the story. John has been telling us the story of new creation. He's been building up the signs through the gospel. Water into wine in chapter 2. Healing the nobleman's son in chapter 4. Healing the crippled man in chapter 5. Feeding the multitude in chapter 6. Healing the man born blind in chapter 9. And then lastly, raising Lazarus from the dead in chapter 11. He's hinted, and he actually writes it later, that Jesus did so many amazing things that he couldn't possibly record them all. But he's chosen these things that he has written down because he wants them to make the point about who Jesus is, about new creation, new dimensions to God's work, new exodus, new life, and new light. But everybody's just gone on as usual with their normal conversations and their normal lifestyle. They are unimpressed and uninterested. John remembers the lack of interest in the remarkable things that Jesus did. And his mind goes back 
generations to two Old Testament thieves. Moses in Egypt did a whole series of signs for Pharaoh. But Pharaoh and his court wouldn't listen. And in that story, we're told the conclusion is that their hearts had been hardened. So that when God's liberation of his people actually came, it would be all the more dramatic. And then Isaiah, facing Israelites who were in total rebellion against God, to the point where they were like Pharaoh, their eyes were shut and their hearts were hard. They were so caught up in their sin and their lifestyle that the only option God could see for them was judgment. And even although they were told judgment was coming and eventually came for them, they didn't believe it. But as he listened to God, Isaiah saw that in that judgment and through that discipline, something spectacular was going to happen. That a new work of salvation was coming from God. And John then looks at the, the people who are listening and looking at Jesus, looking at the signs and don't believe. And he links them to these earlier Israelites. And he says, even those people who had softer hearts and who did believe, they didn't speak. They didn't say anything because they were more concerned about what people would say about them than about what God would say about them. But John is clear, and we should be too. The new creation went ahead in Jesus. All of these signs were leading to another. And when all of the signs in the gospel would come rushing together and leave history stamped forever with the image of a man dying on a cross, lifted up for the world to see, opening blind eyes and softening hard hearts with the love, grace, and mercy of God. We need to remember and realize that there will always be people who will not believe. I don't know if you've ever witnessed a miracle. But I remember thinking, if only there were more miracles nowadays. You know, if only when you came to church, people were being healed left, right, and center. We go to the Guile Center on a Saturday and we pray for people and people are healed. Wouldn't that be great? That would get a bit of stir going, ah, oh, fantastic. People would, people would believe then. And actually the reality is that even in all of that, there are people who simply will not believe. I used to um, be involved in, in a, an organization that no longer um, exists called Healing Rooms, Healing Rooms Scotland. And people could just walk in off the street and we had a wee chat with them and then we prayed for them for whatever they wanted. So if they wanted healing for something, we, we would pray for them. And often those people expressed that, that they had been healed. But then what? 
And for me, that was one of the problems. Then what? Where's the follow-up? What do you do with that? Who has healed you? Well, we were very clear to say God has healed you. We are praying to God on your behalf. But lots of those people went away. Still in unbelief. Now, please don't misunderstand me. That doesn't mean we shouldn't ask for miracles. Of course we should. We should still ask for miracles because God still does miracles. But there are people who just won't believe. There are also people who choose not to talk about Jesus because they're more worried about what other people will think of them. Well, that's just not an excuse not to talk about Jesus. John says it's the response of someone who loves to be liked by people more than by God. So if all that's true, why are we here? Why do we talk about Jesus? Why in this congregation do we run an alpha course? If, if it actually for some people makes no difference. Why should we pray for God to pour out his spirit on us and our community? Well, because there are some people like Matt Bird whose lives are going to be transformed by the gospel. Who are going to be changed from the inside out because having been introduced to Jesus, they decide they are going to follow him. They're going to give their lives to him and trust him. And right through history, people have done that. And some have, as far as we know, had very little impact on the world around them. Others have gone on to speak to millions. What if the guy who was preaching the night Billy Graham was converted had thought, what's the point in this? What if the person who was preaching the day you came to faith had thought, what's the point in this? The point is that even today, lives are being transformed by faith in Jesus. There are people in our community who have never heard the true story and the meaning of Christmas, who will not get the significance of Easter. Jesus is unknown to them, and the church is a mystery. Who on earth knows what happens behind those big red doors? And yet, if they are presented with the story, they would respond in faith. And so if you love God and you want this congregation to continue and to grow, then... Lots of that is about sharing Jesus with other people. The days of mass evangelistic campaigns are gone. What works today is being friendly, giving time, having honest conversations with people. If you're following Jesus, it should make a difference in your life and people will notice. You don't need to be in their face, but you do need to speak. Romans 10, 14 to 16. How can people have faith in the Lord and ask him to save them if they've never heard about him? 
And how can they hear unless someone tells them? And how can anyone tell them without being sent by the Lord? The scriptures say it's a beautiful sight to see even the feet of someone coming to preach the good news. Yet not everyone's believed the message. For example, the prophet Isaiah asked, Lord, has anyone believed what we said? Sometimes that's what it feels like. Lord, has, has anyone believed? Have we just wasted our time? We are all called to speak. Now, I'm going to let you in on a secret now. And I probably shouldn't because, you know, it's one of these ministers' things. We like to keep it to ourselves. But I think you've all reached that stage where you're, you're I think you're ready. You're ready for the secret. Right? It's a phrase that you can use when there's a, 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 a situation that you're kind of uncertain of. Right? And it's very simple. It's this. I don't know. Hmm? You see, when you invite people to, to come to Alpha, they go, oh, well. Or, why don't, you, why don't you speak to your neighbor? Quite often what they say is, what if they ask me something and I don't have the answer? Well, what if they ask you, what are the main ingredients in chicken tikka masala? If you know, that's great. If you don't know, what do you say? I don't know. So why should it be any different when they ask you about dispensational premillennialism? <laughs> the truth is, nobody understands that. And anybody who's asking you that knows far more than you do anyway. So that's just, no. Why? We get so worked up. And I don't know where that's come from. I don't know why so many believers are so hesitant and thinking, I don't know all the answers. I don't have, none of us have all the answers. And yet there seem, as I say, I don't know where it's come from. I don't know if over the years ministers have somehow suggested that, you know, you need to learn more and study more and you have to have an answer for this and that. And this. I, don't, I don't know. But what I do know is that if we are honest with people, if we simply share the difference Jesus has made to us, then they can believe it or not believe it. That's their choice. But if nobody ever tells them, they have no choice. And so as we come into a new year, we did this online with the young people at a couple of years ago. And I just wanted to remind you that here's an opportunity for you to think slightly differently. That inside-outside stuff, you know? Think of five people that you know who don't yet know Jesus. And begin to pray for them by name. That in his grace, God will work in their lives. And then, ask that God 
will give you opportunities to speak to them. Because most of us don't like to go and go. <clears throat> like to invite you for coffee, and we're going to talk about God. <laughs> but when God's at work, sometimes they would say, let's go for coffee. There's something I'd like to talk to you about. Doesn't always work that way. But, but God softens hearts and God, when God's at work in a life. So, you're five people to pray for them, to ask God to give you opportunities to speak to them. And then the last one, speak to them. Take the opportunity when it comes. Amen.